take our emotional temperature what how's yours today I like the way you phrase that emotional temperature I would say my temperature is running low I'm having I've been having some I guess you would say not difficulties but I've just been in kind of a funk recently uh, missing Tom more and trying to deal with figuring the side of life out. What about you? What's your temperature? My temperature is today. My temperature is, is pretty normal. I would put it in the normal category. We were going to podcast on Monday. Yeah. The temperature was high. I felt like I had a fever and I just couldn't talk about ALS on Monday. I just couldn't do it. It's too much. It was too much. And today is a better day for you. Today is a better day. I started working on a, um, a new form of art. So I like, I really consider myself a creative where I don't necessarily think of myself as an artist, I guess. Maybe, maybe they're interchangeable, but I think of myself as a creative. So I'm interested in various forms of creative works I love to write and I've written some books and I love the podcast as a form of being a creative because it's storytelling oh photography is a number one love of mine I've tried to be an oil painter but I really suck at that <laughs> so that's not going to work one time Tom tried to give me an assignment of drawing and I was like we're going to get divorced if you want me to draw it's not working <laughs> So I stumbled upon paper making of all places on TikTok. And I, I watched this woman's TikTok and I absolutely loved it. And she's a photographer and she, she has a fine arts degree. And on the side, she found out she discovered paper making. So she, that became a real love of hers while she was pursuing her fine art and photography. And she lives in Minnesota, maybe. And she um, she prints some of her photographs on the paper that she makes. And I just loved that combination of the two of them. So I've started paper making and I brought Tom into it. And for those who don't know, I have a little, you know, I'm like my just, you know, imagination. It's a little mini farm. I mean, it's really not. It's a quarter of an acre, but <laughs> I have 17 raised beds with lots of lavender in them. And so I incorporate the lavender into the paper making. And Tom worked on that with me. He helped me get the lavender going and he helped me with paper making, which I think he was really interested in, but he's having a tough time cognitively. And it was a good thing for us to do together initially. And I, it's time for me to really do more of it on my own. And I did that today. And by doing the paper making today by myself, he was in had physical therapy in the home. 
I lost my mind and it was just beautiful. I could smell my lavender. I put lavender buds in the paper and I could, it had a faint smell. And I thought, somebody's going to love this paper someday. They're going to buy it for me and they're going to love it. And soon I'll have a shop open, the, the cottage at Mare Haven. And I'll have some of these little treats for sale on the, on the Etsy shop. Well, I can't wait. I've, I've seen some of your stuff that you've posted on Facebook and I absolutely love it. Like just the, the photos um, printed on your paper is just gorgeous. So I can't wait for the Etsy shop to, to go live. I'll be your first purchase. Oh, I love that. Well, I made, I'll tell you a funny story. I was, we were trying uh cotton rag is very difficult to use and unless you know how to really use it and break it down to the fibers, it's really supposed to be a beautiful paper if you can do it. Like really old documents are printed on things like leather and they're printed leather paper, lead paper made from leather and, and lots of cotton. And then, and then that doesn't disintegrate at all. That's really stays with us really forever. So uh, we got a little big too fast and we got this cotton and we were trying to break it down. And I, we each made our own. I don't have a piece here to show you. I basically I threw mine out because it looked like hell, but I really wanted to print a photo on it. And Tom, you know, I mean, he's, he struggles cognitively, but it's not like he he's babbling or anything. He can have a conversation with me. He's really involved in conversations. He doesn't often remember them, but when he's engaged, he's really engaged. And I bought myself this fancy printer to be able to print the paper on. And I, I think... <laughs> It was just the other day, I think Kate was coming over and I thought, oh, I'm going to do this before they come over. And I had a beautiful um, black and white photo of a sunflower, like a gigantic sunflower. And I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it'll be fine. I'm going to put it through the printer anyway. I put it through the printer and the goddamn thing like just fell apart in there. <laughs> like, like I still have the tweezers on my desk. From having to pick it out. <laughs> I making like fires out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in so much trouble now. I broke the new printer. <laughs> I broke out into sweat. <laughs> I think I got it all. It was it was like just one of those moments. And I thought. Uh, that's it. I'm not making cotton rags anymore. <laughs> Stick to the other stuff. Stick to the other stuff. It's better. So anyway, that's how I make. Well, I like the fact that you're doing it. And I know that you do it because you need that, that, that creative outlet. Um, you know, I remember needing that when I was caring for Tom. And, but I also like the fact that that your Tom can participate and you've done that a lot. You've, you've actually had a lot of things that y'all can do to keep him as engaged as possible, as engaged as possible mm -hmm. in many things, the painting and then going out to the beach for photography. So I used to go to lunch. Things are a little bit harder now. You don't get out as much. For me, yeah, I don't, well, when he goes in on into, for his respiratory therapy, he goes on his breathing machine for two and a half, three hours every day without fail. We get him on the cough assist machine a couple of times a day. And um, it's just more, it's more difficult to get him moving. And then it's even been more difficult for me with arthritis. I don't, I don't get out of bed and move as easily as I used to. 
So things are just a little bit slower. Um, still, you miss it though. It's quite a grieving. It's a loneliness that happens because he's he's not around as much. But then even when he's here, he's not who he was. And that's hard. And then there's a lot of tasks. There's so many tasks to do. As you know, when, and, uh, one of our friends, Tara, um, she, she emailed somebody in an organization in Nashville regarding guitar lessons for Tom. Creative Vets, it's called. Okay. She emailed them. I swung to her on the phone the other day and I said, well, he pretty much just plays the same few notes over and over because it's hard for him to learn like it's funny I do laugh when I say that but it's actually just really hard for him to learn is the big problem and then of course his hands are failing so he uses a slide guitar so she didn't tell me she was going to do that she did that and then he this guy responded and said that you know yeah they could help him you know he could be part of their program and she was all excited and you have to fill out an application and the application is still on my computer in an open tab. And that was several days ago. And here I am. I still haven't done it. Let's find the time for it, you know? And then I forget yeah. about it because there's so many other things to do. Yeah. So those are the challenges. Like, I think probably a lot of people who are listening will relate to that. It's a task-heavy disease. It can be really lonesome or it could be really full. You had a full house every day you can still be lonesome in the full house you know these are not your best friends or anything they were people who were coming in to help you care for your husband yeah and I remember um I mean I and I think with ALS we all know because you know we do the reading and we know it's progressive and you have a lot more time and energy at the beginning of the disease and you know it's going to get hard and and I see you guys have done it. We, we did it. We did a lot of, we filled our life in the beginning of the diagnosis with as much um, bucket list trips and activities and memories that we could to engage Tom. And I used to tell people that, you know, all these trips, you know, they were amazing, but what we got out of them were memories and that that's what was going to keep Tom going and engaged when the disease got harder. Mm -hmm. And then once he passed, it was those memories that would keep Trey and I going after he passed. So, you know, there's so much wrapped into doing these activities. Cause I know, you know, he's your Tom is painted and, and yes, you know, you've, I've heard you talk about the, um, the speakers, was it this, the amps or the speakers he collects? Yeah. Yeah. And, and while they have memories to him, you know, you will have to deal with that once he's, he's gone, but you will still have all that. Like I saw someone post one of our caregivers posted a, a photo, a memory of Tom when we had like a petting zoo come into the house. I saw that. Did you see that? Um, the ring tailed lemur. Um, and I did, I tried really hard to, you know, even in the last few years when Tom didn't want, he was more comfortable in bed than he was in his wheelchair. It just was harder to, to get him. And he did, his anxiety was through the roof. And so it just was honestly easier for him to stay in bed. So it, you know, it's kind of like you stretch your imagination on what can you do to bring some joy or light and offer just that little something 
to get you through the day. And, and it was that memory that popped up and, and it, you know, brought me right back. And I'm so glad that we did it. And I'm glad we have it. And, and I'm, I'm just glad. I hope others living this life, see how, um, yeah, it may take a little extra work Mm -hmm. to make it happen, but it really is. It serves so many more purposes than just having that thing happen in the moment. And I know that's what that's what's going to happen. You're going to have all this wonderful paper made and you'll be able to remember that Tom attempted to help you and got in your way all the time. <laughs> well, he's fun and he, you know, he always has a good sense of humor about it, you know. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, the and when I lose my temper, which I know I guess I don't really lose my temper as much as I just get impatient at times, you know, as like frustrated I mean that's normal yeah I've got to explain this again and again and again I have to explain it and he I could see him get irritated with me but you know then he forgets about it (laughs) so you start at zero or one for FTD and cognitive issues yeah so you know it works and this is this time of day that we podcast is during my quiet time of day and it's a it's I couldn't do it any other time of day because the dogs are in here laying down and it's just a we've all gotten used to this as being a restful time of day. So I guess all that helps and it kind of kind of brought my temperature back down to more normal. It gave me making the paper, I guess, gives me some freedom of the creativity and a little, you know, I'm thinking about it. So by thinking about it, I'm engaging myself. There's still a lot to learn. And I'm excited about that. It's hard being in all the time and not feeling like anytime soon I can plan trips or getaways for us or even for myself. I can't, I can't even go by myself right now. It's just not a place that we're in. And so for you, when it does happen, then it means something. We had talked about that earlier about um, before we started recording the podcast about that sense of freedom that you miss the freedom when you're, you know, in the, in the darkness of the caregiving and you allow yourself to think about it. But then it's like, you know, that, that thought that also flashes that, Oh, why am I thinking? Because freedom means death, Mm -hmm. their loss. And that's what I, on this side of the, the beyond side of it, I, I still struggle with that that I have the freedom to do things, but I don't take advantage of those freedoms because it, it's still very hard. Um, there's a lot of guilt involved with the, the idea that I'm free to do what I want. And you're, that's why your temperature was lower today. It was, I've done a few things recently. I did some advocacy in DC last week, which I'm super excited about. And that'll be probably a topic we'll talk about is, is, um, how you can, um, you know, you can take some of this energy from ALS and harness it and do advocacy work. But I think in in that advocacy, it makes me talk about Tom. Doesn't make me, it requires me to talk about Tom and remember certain aspects of the ALS life. And traveling reminds me of Tom. We traveled together. And so not being able to share things with him is really hard. And I find my outlet is not so much 
I never really thought that my writing was a creative thing. You're, you've pointed that out. And so I do a lot more writing um, just because I need an outlet for some of these feelings that I don't know how to process. And writing helps me, helps me think through it and process those feelings. Probably much, it's very similar to your art helps you process things while you're doing it. And the quiet of it, it helps you. It's reflective. For you, yeah. I see, and I mean, and I could be wrong, but you know, for you, I see that the writing is reflective for you. You do have quiet moments and not you're not journaling, you're writing. You know mm -hmm. that people will be reading your writing. That's where the creativity comes in because you have to tell us a story. We have to understand, you have to put it in context for us. So anybody who comes along to read your story, if it's in your blog, could read any one of your stories and know that this was big trauma in your life and for your husband and you're dealing with grief and all the things that go along with grief and recovering from the trauma of the experience of the with the disease that there's a lot of creativity in that you have to think about it because what you put in words and you put out there on the internet they can be they can come back to bite you they um you don't ever want to feel that way when you're writing and you're putting it out there you want to feel well at least i'm not putting words in your mouth <laughs> you want to feel that what you put out there truly represents what you feel while also respecting the memory of your loved one or for me, respecting the moments with my husband now. And there's a lot of things that we'll never talk about on the podcast or even in writing probably with the disease because those are too difficult for us to touch. But we'll, we talk about it more than most people will. We're willing to share it more broadly, I think. Not that we talk about it more, but we're willing to share it more publicly. And that's, that's exhausting at times. It is. It is. It it's exhausting. And it's also there it's therapeutic. I think it can be very therapeutic for me to get these emotions out and, and actually get some responses. Like there will be responses from some of the writing where other people going through this journey, either they haven't lost their ALS partner or they have. And it is amazing how just some of the feelings I'm feeling is universal. So for me, it makes me, it helps me not to feel so alone in this journey and to see that, okay, other people are feeling this, other people going through it. So it's just part of a journey. It's not the destination. It's just, I still have to keep walking through the valley. Yeah. You keep us in it. You know, you keep us in, in the journey with you. And I love that. Do you think you'll ever put everything together into a book someday? I think so. I, I dabble a little bit. I have, you know, something on my computer that I'm writing and part of it is, you know, how much do people want to hear? I think you and I, like what you mentioned earlier, we're, we're pretty transparent for the most part, probably more than, than others, but we see the value in sharing the, the good, the bad and the ugly, the pain, mm -hmm because we know other people may um, benefit mm -hmm. from hearing our stories. You know, I, I, it's funny, Trey had a, a project due in, in class and it had to do with, he had to talk about a mental health issue. And I was like, well, why don't you talk about 
you know, depression that can come from grieving. He's like, well, I just don't want to share that mom. It's just way too personal. I can't share it with other people. And I think that he probably is, you know, the norm. Maybe we're too much. Um, we were laughing about that <laughs> earlier. Um, but, but we can be, but I also think that for us, that's how we, we go about and try to help others. And so Trey and when, as I was helping Trey work through this project and he was like, well, I'm just not going to turn it in. I said, well, you can't not just turn it in, Trey. It's for grade. You have to do this. So, so why don't you, why don't you talk, but maybe talk about me? Like you, you are very good about gauging my temperature. You know, when I'm, I'm sliding into a, a little depressive hole, um, you know, when that depressive hole is deeper than, than it should be, you know, you know how to recognize it. I was like, talk on that, that level. And he's like, well, I could do that. I was like, cause you never know, Trey, you may say something and someone in your class may recognize it or go, Hey dude, I lost my dad when I was 15, 16, 17, or my dad's currently going through, you know, insert terminal disease here that you may be helping them. I was like, that's honestly why we do all these things is, is not for selfish reasons. It's to make sure we help the next person because these can be such hard journeys that you're on that you just can't do it alone. Imagine if we never, nobody ever shared their story. Oh, I, I would be a mess. Mm, I would be too. I don't know if I, I would, would be... I don't think I'd survive really without hearing the stories and sharing the stories for me, sharing mm -hmm. the stories and doing this podcast. And, you know, I did the other podcast, this caregiver life, but these kinds of things and the advocacy work that we've done and that I've done, the ones that we never talk about, the people that we help where we never talk about have, there's elements of healing in that. That's just really beautiful. And it's not true for everybody. Not everybody can tell their story, but maybe they need to hear your story because by hearing the story, they feel less alone. They feel more normalized. Like, oh, wow. So Mayor had some crazy high temperatures the last few days on an emotional level. I never see her like that. Well, because I don't necessarily share it in, at the moment, but I will share it later. I'm not all together. I don't have all my stuff together all the time. I have lots of every single day. I have hard moments. I don't think I've had a day that I've just had a completely carefree day in years. I don't know what that is. If you have a three-day weekend, I you know, hey, what are you doing on Labor Day? The same thing I did yesterday and the same thing I'm going to do tomorrow. That's the kind of life that I have. That's how hard it is. And even if you have respite, still, you know, as well as I do, you cannot leave that house and that person that you're caring for to the level, to the degree that we do without that always being part of where you are away wherever you are, if I'm in Washington, D.C. with my friends, with other caregivers, and that's respite, there's always a level of anxiety that I take with me. Plus, you know, all the preparation is crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, just going to D.C. last week, it was, it was such an interesting trip that I just packed for myself. Like, Trey stayed home because he had class, and I did it. Um, I ended up having a girlfriend come with me 
but it was such a weird feeling to know I wasn't responsible for anybody else. Mm. It was nice. But then when you, you know, you, you think about it too long, then it's, it's nice, but it's nice because I don't have Tom here anymore. Mm-hmm. So then, and that's probably why my temperature was a little low is because things like that will quickly, I can spiral quickly, mm-hmm. but I can come back just as quick. You're doing good at coming back. It's getting better. I, that's what I've noticed. I was talking to my therapist about this. Oh, I don't know. Maybe last time we met or time before. And, and I told her, I was like, but we're a year in, I shouldn't be dipping as low as I go. And she goes, it doesn't matter how low you go, Laura, but do you come back out? Do you come back out faster than you did? I'm like, yeah, probably. I probably, you know, hide in bed, you know, a day less or two days less than, than I did. And she goes, that's, that's how, you know, you know, you're working through it. Mm-hmm. And I will also say I'm way more mindful and aware of things, my feelings, the way I feel on certain things, which I think has been very helpful is to, to be just, just more intimately aware of, aware of how I'm feeling. I like, one of the ways I like thinking about things lately is like the paper making is meeting myself right where I am right now. Oh, I like that, Mary. I'm meeting like, you know, people will say, I've had people say to me, well, we're going to meet you right where you are. And I think, I don't even really know what you're talking about. (laughs) That doesn't even make sense to me because you are, you have no idea what's going on right now, but you can meet yourself where you are. And it's where I am right now. This was a, a crazy gift to give to myself. And I took it slow, meaning, you know, I didn't go crazy buying all kinds of things for it, all kinds of supplies. So I'm I'm getting there where I have more supplies and I'm learning a little bit at a time. I try not to learn too many things at once. Tom likes to send me lots of videos of things and I can't take all that in. I just have to try things out. And then that's one of the fun things for me is trying things out. I, I sorely miss doing my photography. I live in a beautiful area. The light is always gorgeous here. And I've taken some wonderful photographs in the yard in the gardens this year. Just the light was just beautiful a few times and the flowers were great. So I've had to, this is a shift. And then I can go into my archives of my photos and pull things out from there to use with this new creative form. So it's good meeting yourself where you are is a good place to be. And I see that happening with you, with your recent trip to DC. And so it sounds a little coy because we're not really talking about what that was all about. And I'm just going to stay coy for this podcast. Well, because we're really checking in with each other, which I think is so important. I think one of the things that shows us who we are and how we are so valuable for each other is that we check in with each other. On your worst days, we checked in. I don't, I don't, and I'm talking about you on you, some of your worst days. I don't know if I ever told you this, but one time I was out of the house by myself. That was when it was much easier for me to go out by myself. I still can go out by myself, but not to the degree that I could at that time. So this was probably three years ago. I went in and I got a frozen yogurt for myself, which is like naughty because, you know, he's not with me and I didn't bring him and he can't drive. And I was like, you know what? I deserve this frozen yogurt. 
So I got myself frozen yogurt and I sat in this big giant parking lot. It was like kind of empty there, you know, and you called me and we talked on the phone for at least an hour. And I, and you had no idea. It was like this desolate park <laughs> with my car running. I was like, I hope I have enough gas for this, you know? And you talked nonstop probably for 60 minutes, at least. It was crazy. And, you know, you need that. If you don't have somebody, if you're listening to this podcast and you're currently an ALS caregiver or you're in the beyond as a caregiver, um, as a human being, I hope you find somebody. I hope you have somebody in your life that you can lean on to the degree that we have leaned on each other because it's been life-saving on so many levels. Oh, it has. Um, do you remember me calling you? It was it was not long before Tom passed, probably the spring of, of last year, 2022. And I called to tell you that I had just I had, I had an opportunity to leave the house. I went to a store and I walked around the store for an hour thinking the same thing over and over again. And it scared me. Do you remember that conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, um, it was a time where I, I think I was just, I'd hit the wall. Like every time I had hit a wall, I was like, it can't get any worse. And then you break through it and you find that there's a worse wall in front of you especially as the disease continues to progress. And this was one of my worst walls. And I, I had no one I could call that would understand, or like you said, meet me where I was. And you met me where I was and you, you know, you were just so loving and honest and, and I didn't feel bad for sharing what I shared with you, which to our listeners, um, I was at a point where I thought to myself, you know, I went through the store thinking the same thing over and over again, that this can't be my life. This can't be my life. This cannot be, this is it. I'm, I can't live like this anymore. I just, I can't. And I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it was a scary thought mm-hmm. to think that. And after an hour of thinking that and realizing I had wandered all over the store with that single thought in my head, I reached out to you and you were a lifeline in that moment. You did meet me where I was. And I do hope that some of our listeners, you know, they can find someone or reach out to us on Facebook, find us on Facebook or through the, this podcast. And, um, you know, we'll meet them where they are. I love that. Was that the one where I, um, where I convinced you to get somebody to come in and do your whole, clean your whole house from top to yes. bottom, deep clean. Yeah. And then you did your spa day after that. Yeah. I, after that, I, I arranged to have a, um, a huge spa day and invited my two sisters in to share it with me. Yeah. And so good. it was, but it was, you know, it, it was a, it was a form of respite definitely, but you know, it took so much to ensure that we had the help in the home to cover my absence, because at that point, Tom was a two-person assist and, and he did struggle with, you know, FTD and, and having me not there was very stressful on him. Mm -hmm. 
And so just leaving, just kind of getting over that feeling of guilt of leaving him alone, even though I knew he was fine, I knew he'd be okay. It was still hard to leave, uh, to do that. But I'm glad I did because part of it was the the place that we went actually had like a, a grieving death and dying workshop, which is why I chose where to go. And my sisters left and I stayed back and listened and participated in this, in this grief workshop, which I'm so glad I did, especially now knowing that Tom's death came within months of that. Mm -hmm. That was very um, helpful, but yeah, it was, it was just you, you not trying to solve the problem. You just provided me with avenues to help. And you weren't, you know, what you may have been concerned but you didn't, you didn't share that to scare me. I mean, I was already scared for the way, the feelings I was having. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we have each other. And, and I think that we connect and have connected on such a deep, intimate level, um, just because of the shared experience of this journey. Mm -hmm. It fills a big um, gap in our lives, you know? It does that we are here for each other in that way because it is it is can be so lonesome you know there was i think it was recently there was nothing more reaffirming for me than when we were talking about something that happened i had you on speakerphone it was like kind of dinner time i just got tom out of off of respiratory therapy and he was in the living room and he overheard and he interjected some good thoughts which you followed up on and that was good and then the next day we talked again because we needed to sort of, you know, continue and then close up that whole little thing that was going on that we needed to work on. And um, he had no idea that we talked about the night before. And then you said to me, he doesn't remember any of it, does it? Does he? And I said, no, but I'm so glad you picked up on that because I often think it's me. Yeah. Because I'm here, you know, I'm the only one, you know, you or my daughter will say to me, no, that's not you. <laughs> and it's so important to have that person say in the light, somebody else in your life say it's not you, you know? Yeah. To affirm those feelings. Um, when we were first talking about FTD, well, Tom's been gone a year now. So two years ago is about a year before he passed. You and I were talking, I was telling you about what my suspicions were. You started sending articles to me because you started looking into it. And those articles were like, it was like my aha moments of, okay, same feeling. I, I'm not imagining this. I'm not, you know, this really is happening. I can't believe it's happening, you know, they don't talk about this being a, a common thing in ALS, but it was everything you were sitting because I, I think I was just too, I don't know. I was too scared. I was too overwhelmed to even research it myself, but just those articles that you were sending to me so needed, so appropriate. And I think they were only received well because they came from you. Had they come from someone else? I honestly don't know how well I would have received it. But, but things coming from you, I get. Yeah, this I guess like I don't know. It would have been a funky thing for somebody else to send. I it answered a lot of questions for me. Um, 
you know, and we've, we talked in the first podcast that Tom has a cognitive impairment from encephalitis, but so it is a little difficult to tease out, you know, the FTD can you, it's really, really kind of lumped together with the cognitive impairment, but I see more, I see more of the FTD problems with it. And which is one of the things when I was, uh, started the paper making thing was, um, to slow him down because he'll spend money. And I, I'm sure you saw that with your Tom. You oh, and yes. Just because your Tom was paralyzed, he used the computer very well and they buy things and you're like, what are you even doing? Oh my God. Me and the Amazon man were like best friends. Like I would leave him snacks at my front door because Tom was purchasing so much from Amazon. Yeah, there's, there's this big for the paper making, there's this big machine you can buy, especially if you want to use the cotton rags that I was telling you about earlier before we started the podcast, which really needs to kind of be beat down and you have to get the fibers out. And the machine is like thousands of dollars. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't, I don't want that machine. That's a lot. That's a lot for me right now. I'm just doing it in my little kitchen. So if anybody ever buys any of my paper, it's just me in my little kitchen using my little tubs of water and my counter my and, and my kitchen table, and then rolling it up and putting it out on my deck to get an initial drying in this unbelievable heat in North Carolina. Like that's what's happening. There's no big machinery. There's a blender. There's like Okay, it's like a ninja blender because you really needed like a good blender for it and a shredder because I can't cut anything. But he's looking at thousands of dollars, which he would spend just like that. That's FTD. Yeah. Buying things like just without thought, buying things. That's that's part of FTD. And then I also liked in that article, those articles that I sent you, the reading material was, it's not as rare as people think that it is it's you yeah. know about 50 percent of the people who have als will have this ftd component to it which also makes you feel not so crazy yourself well and it also helped me understand that you know because it's called you know ftd where the d stands for dementia but dementia isn't what i thought i was thinking well you know it's it's like other forms of dementia in Tom's case, it was the impact to his, you know, empathy. He was very apathetic. Um, he acted in a way that was different than the Tom I knew and loved and married. It was just a different version of himself. And it was more than because what, you know, the other thing that you're dealing with with ALS is um, pseudobulbar. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, I had so many people go, well, he's smiling. He must be happy. Well, that's pseudobulbar. <laughs> he's yeah. not really smiling because you got to look at the situation, read the room. It's not a happy event. And he's smiling. That's not a normal thing. And so understanding, just having a better understanding of what FTD meant for us and for Tom was very helpful to read those articles and and truly understand it i can i'll put some links in the um show notes for for ftd so and i guess we should repeat in our podcast because some people maybe just this is the first one they listen to of us talking it's frontal temporal dementia and it's um 
you know, it's not terribly uncommon with ALS. So it's if you're dealing with ALS, it's good to know about it. It's helpful because it, it's help. Why is it helpful? It's helpful because you see behaviors in your spouse or the loved one, your loved one who has ALS that you would not have seen before ALS. And it's a little scary and it's a little unnerving and it's a little lonely. Hurtful. It can be very hurtful. It can be hurtful for sure. And where once you had a companion or a loved one, a family member or a friend who you could talk to in a certain way, and then you can't, it's, it's not easy. It's a challenge for you, your own self emotionally. And that is sometimes where that need to get away from it, the respite, my occupational therapist for my hand thinks that it's so funny, like in the best way that I tell her that when I go to OT, which I usually go to during these hours, because he won't get out of bed by himself. So I can get there and get back in time um, to get him that I call it respite. <laughs> oh, I say to her, what's your, what is your mouse little house of horror is going to give me today to work on for my hand <laughs> during my respite time? during my respite time and then there's other people there she's always has like a few people around the table and so does the other one the other therapist and so it's sort of like for me it's like a big socialization I'm like oh I'm gonna hate when this is over you know <laughs> it's a way to get out it's it's hard it's definitely a hard disease and there's ways that you can make it better for yourself if if you choose to and they're not big ways maybe maybe they're small ways I used to see that all the time when um I met new caregivers and they would say, well, how do you even find time like to have respite? And I would say, well, for me, it's all, even when my kids were little, well, not little, but when Tom got sick, I would get up an hour early. I still get up an hour early so I can have a cup of coffee in peace. And they say, well, how is that even respite? That's not even anything. And I said, yeah, but it's everything to me though, being up that hour fun. If he gets up at the same time as me, which sometimes happens, I like lose my shit. I'm like, what are you even doing up right now? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I think not it's allowed out of bed yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, because in I know in this community, I had not heard of like uh, retreats and things like that um, until I came into the the veteran space. And and there are many organizations that offer retreats for families and caregivers and and there is, I think, this assumption that it's these big retreats that are giving you respite and not realizing it's it's just five minutes away from the stress is respite. Like for me, I always did, um, well, not always, but I bought a, a hammock and started laying out in my yard. And that was, I was close enough to hear the alarms because I could hear them through the window and the doors, but I was far enough away where if I turned my radio up just enough, I could drown it out and I just have music and, and swinging in, in the hammock. That was my respite, even though I may have only gotten five minutes. Yeah. You have to take it where you can get it and try to, you know, just try to enjoy that. It's not going to be that way forever. You're, you're, um, well, our, our ALS caregivers that are in the beyond are examples of that is not always going to be there. You're not always going to live in that space. It's going to be a different space. Tomorrow's going to be a different day. Um, you have to try to try to find that flexibility in your mind. It's healthier that way for you. It's terrible when you go down that 
you sort of spiral down. You don't know how to come out of it. It's really hard to do. And I, I have pretty good boundaries too. I, we could talk about that on another podcast. So how about the next podcast? Well, let's talk about advocacy. We'll talk about how we started our advocacy, where we feel our advocacy has been impactful, the kinds of advocacy we do where we don't, you and I might talk about it because we help each other problem solve if somebody needs our help, but we don't often do that either. We learn about each other's experiences later on when we're helping somebody just to helping somebody alone, getting them the wheelchair, helping them figure out how to get the wheelchair they need or the help they need in the house or I don't know, anything, anything small. That's advocacy as well. So we've mm-hmm. done big advocacy, but I would say that the backbone of our ag- advocacy has been one person at a time. Yes, I agree. So we'll we'll do that for, we'll talk about that for our next one. And then the podcast after that, we can we could talk more about um, how we found some of the things that we found for respite that have been really useful on a, a small scale. If you only have a few minutes, take the few minutes. We talk about mindfulness a little bit. Remember when I gave you the magazine on mindfulness? And one of the first times that I had ever really heard, and you you worked a lot with being mindful and and that approach. And I think I learned you know, from afar, uh, working, you know, listening to you and working through it, which I think honestly, on this side of the, the disease, the beyond side has been super helpful as I process and move through grief and understanding what my life looks like and what it looks like without Tom, Mm -hmm. it has been incredibly helpful and it's been part of my healing. I don't, I'm, I'm grateful that I learned about mindfulness from you. Well, that's like the heart of mindfulness is is having um is having a practice of gratitude. You can practice mindfulness, you practice gratitude, and we can end it on that. I'm grateful that you're in my life. I'm grateful that you're in mine. All right. Okay. So what how did we say we were gonna end our podcast? I don't even remember. I don't know. It's gonna change from time to time, but I do think this one needs to be called meeting you where you're at. Okay. I like that. I like that. So I'll meet you where you are next time. I'll see you, Mary. Bye. Bye.